This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Hi, this is Connor McCreary, the writer of Kill Shakespeare, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode four. We've only done this four times of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. That's it, four times ever. <laughs> my name is Matt Baum. You can follow my selfie reactions to the Netflix Iron Fist show at Matt Baumstein on Twitter. Is that true? Yeah, I'm making some pretty funny faces. Oh, all right, cool. <laughs> like, what? And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, which I usually ignore to post personal stuff. On our show Twitter feed, at Two-Headed Nerd. In this week's episode, Joe and I worship at the altar of American gods, and Joe shows everyone his giant-sized man thing. After that, we're going to focus our cheese onto things of iron to review ten of this and last week's comics during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's time for Nerd TV, where we're giving you our definitive Iron Fist review. And finally... Da Orca is back with another postcard to a comic professional. Watch out for that. So dust off your high-collared gi with plunging neckline, and let's talk about this week's Nerd News! They love it when you yell. I know, they do. It gets them fired up. Yeah. Uh, sad news this week, Matt. Bernie Wrightson passed away. I just saw that. At age 68 from brain cancer. Uh, he died last night... Or in the early morning hours, actually, of of March 18th, his wife posted it on Facebook, and the news spread pretty quick. Comic professionals, obviously, taking it pretty hard. Um, he had a lot of loyal fans. We, are, of course, are among them. Uh, Bernie Wrightson, best known for the, being the co-creator of Swamp Thing. Drew my favorite Swamp Thing, hands yeah. down. Uh, Man. Nobody uh, drew ghouls and zombies and monsters better than that guy. Yeah. Swamp Ugh. Thing... Swamp Thing uh, was one of the first comic books I ever read. It had been reprinted, like chopped up, like the panels were cut up and rearranged. Yeah. And reprinted in black and white in one of those old bookstore paperbacks. <laughs> reprints were terrible. Uh, back <laughs> before trades were really a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it was a huge blow. Like we had just heard about him having to retire. Uh, because he wasn't doing so well. We reported and, on that not long ago at yeah. all, unfortunately. It and, sounds like he went downhill very quickly. Or he may have he may have been sicker than we thought. That's I mean, true. I don't think at the time we knew that he had brain cancer. No, they said that he had health issues. Yeah. And I think the family was just trying to keep things quiet at the time. But it's super sad. This morning I talked about, or, or rather I chatted with Phil Hester, uh, who was a huge Swamp Thing guy. He actually drew Swamp Thing for a while uh, at Vertigo. And uh, he was sharing a story about uh, coming to a convention in Omaha many, many years ago where, also, where there was also Bernie Wrightson and uh, Mike Kaluta, two legendary horror fantasy artists. And somebody came up and gave Phil this long board and said, I want you to draw just on one third of it. And Phil drew a Swamp Thing character. Or he drew a character. I don't remember if it was Swamp Thing. But then he next handed it to Bernie Wrightson. And it ended up being this jam piece. And Phil was so intimidated and, and humbled by it. Well, yeah. I chatted with Phil. I said, Phil, that was our friend Big Mike. Oh. That was oh Big Mike. Oh, my God. 
and that that piece he gave that piece to me before he died. Oh wow! Yeah, and that was at AlphaCon. The uh, oh boy, less said about AlphaCon. Yeah, better. yeah, less said. But <laughs> uh, I, I'll say this for them. They were ambitious. Yes. Uh, they had the, at the no, time. we're not talking alpha. No, I know, but really. stay like, on target the lo- Their claim to fame was like the largest assemblage of, the largest assemblage of Star Wars actors in one place ever. Since like the filming of Star The most Wars. expensive group of Star Wars actors in <laughs> one place ever. Anyway, like, and that was such a touching story. And yeah, that was like our little connection to, yeah. to Bernie Wrightson and. Uh, the people that inspired or that were inspired by him that in turn inspired us. Well, and we all got to meet Bernie at that show at the time. And he was the guy had style. He had grace. He was sweet to all the fans. He drew a Frankenstein for me that I still have. Oh, man. And if you haven't seen Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein. Wow. Go find that. It is masterpiece horror stuff. Uh, his illustrations are are the definitive illustrations for the novelization of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Man, the, the illustrated beautiful version stuff. of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, we and, really uh, lost something here. We lost yeah. one of the most important horror comic creators of all time. I hope he went peacefully. It sounds like the family is taken care of, which is good. That doesn't always happen in these situations. But Bernie, you'll be missed. Thank you very much for your body of work. In other news, move over, Diamond, because after years of being the only viable choice for comics distribution, it looks like there might finally be some competition. Eventually, em- someday. <laughs> Emerald Comics Distribution is a new company established by writer, publisher, and Bean that has big plans, but they're starting small as a regional distributor. Joey, tell me about this. So Anne Bean did an interview with Vanguard Seattle where she said, quote, Every shop owner I've ever talked to has had something negative to say about Diamond. See, I've never heard anything negative. <laughs> I spoke with a local owner recently who said he's had the business for 20 years and he's never seen a correct order from them or the boxes are damaged or the comics are ripped or they're shorted, but it's the only game in town. Yeah, we used to joke about the apes and malfunctioning robots that work in the warehouse. Uh, <laughs> the list of weird items that may be in your box from Diamond <laughs> instead of the thing you ordered. Yes. Uh, empty chocolate wrappers. Sometimes. I remember that. Uncapped markers. Uh, cigarette butt. Uh Marker caps with no markers attached. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Highlighters. Yeah, any number of things. Uh, I think a box cutter one time. And once a big black dildo, which was really weird. Or at <laughs> least it's everyone, no one admitted to ordering it. Maybe anyway. that was a, <laughs> that was a retailer exclusive. <laughs> it was branded with Valiant's logo on yeah. it. It was one of the <laughs> yeah. Valiant's weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's absolutely right. Like Diamond is a horror show, but it's all we've got. Right. So her idea, the Emerald Comics Distributions, their first phase of their plan is to distribute comics around the Puget Sound area of Seattle for wholesale or consignment. She's offering to do that for publishers and creators for an unspecified flat monthly service fee without taking a cut from wholesale sales. So how do you make money? So they pay for the service, like Netflix, right? You pay for Netflix, and then Netflix gives you the content. So it sounds almost like a... Rather than taking a cut of like... Rather like iTunes gets a cut from every episode of one day at a time that you buy. That's how iTunes makes money. Right. And that's how Diamond makes money. Every time Diamond sells an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, of the uh, the 45% that goes back to a Marvel or whatever, Diamond gets a cut. Sure. Instead of that, that she's not taking that cut. She's saying, here's a fee. You pay this flat fee. 
I get you the I don't I don't Okay, yeah. okay, that makes sense. I'll get it. So basically Diamond has well, we, operated before we do that. Like mm-hmm. we should say she's not the only one. There's other small press distributors. Well, there like have been Birdcage, Bottom Books, but Emerald Comics Distributions has bigger plans beyond just the small press. If she can get the first phase successful, according to her, her second step would be to expand to indie-friendly shops across the United States. The last significant competitor to Diamond Comics Haven Distributors. Remember them? Yeah. Cold Cut? Cold Cut, yeah. <laughs> we, Matt and I definitely dealt with Cold Cut. Yeah, everyone, like, everybody wanted to, they just couldn't keep up. Uh, and that's because Diamond is essentially a monopoly on paper, but not in the eyes of the law. No. Because none of the other distributors were able to hang uh, and stay in business because right. Diamond has locked down all of the huge publishers with exclusive deals. Yep. Which means she's not selling Marvel Comics. No, not right now, anyway. Until Marvel or DC decides to break that exclusivity and say, we want more options. Yeah. More power to you, Mrs. Bean. Go get them. I really hope it works. <laughs> but let's get to the biggest news story of 2017. Oh my Are God. you ready? Oh, my God. Marvel and quote unquote popular hip hop group, the Black Eyed Peas, have teamed up to create a new original graphic novel. Because Will I Am demanded it. He did. <laughs> entitled Black Eyed Peas Present Colon Masters of the Sun hyphen The Zombie Chronicles. I don't think there's ever been a better use of colon in a sentence. There. Yeah. Masters of the Sun was created by Black Eyed Peas leader Will I Am, who will work with writer Benjamin Jackendoff. Who? Um, look, man, it's okay to have a pen name. Ben Jackendoff. <laughs> Benjamin. <laughs> it sounds like Jackendoff. It sounds like a prank call from Bart Simpson's to Mo. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Amanda <laughs> hug and kiss. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking for Ben. I'm looking for Ben Jackendoff <laughs> and artist Damian Scott, who we love. Yeah, he is really good. At least he's getting paid. Okay. Yeah, right. Good job. Uh, Masters of the Sun stars a hero named Zulu X who lives in a future version of Los Angeles beset by aliens and zombies. Here's a quote from Will I Am himself: "The Black Eyed Peas and I have begun a new journey." He tells Billboard, we've been working on this original story for years. Oh, I'm sure Fergie's been kicking this years. one around. Just keep pulling her hair out trying and to get this done. partnering with Marvel to bring this book to life is more than a dream come true. You know what? That's all I got. The rest is all Are they just... still a band? Are they even around anymore? I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, like, Fergie went off and did her thing. Will I Am does something to make money. Uh, he's a hologram on CNN. Creepy breakdancing guy is, I'm sure, up to something. I don't know. <laughs> So this book is due out in July. I, I just like I I'm not I'm not here to harsh anybody's buzz, okay? <laughs> like if Will I am really wants to make a comic book, more yeah, power to go him. Go get him. Let's call a shot. Nerd bet right now. Let's see if you can get closest. Let's see if you can get the actual order number. I'm saying that this ships less than five thousand issues. I'll take that bet. So you want to go over five thousand? I think it will ship over five thousand okay. copies. Nerd bet on. There we F- go. I mean, five thousand in the scheme of things, they're gonna probably sell this thing at Oh, wait, record stores? <laughs> yeah. Crickets? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Digitally? As long as they get in a rocket and fly into the sun in the end of it, I'm fine. <laughs> Look, if DMC can put out a comic book, Will I Am can put out a comic book. Oh, God, please don't even put them in the same I can't, category. I okay. can't wait to review it. <laughs> in Hollywood news, Captain America, Civil War, and Avengers Infinity War directors Joe and Anthony Russo. Lots of war. Lots of war stuff. Are producing... A live-action television series based on Valiant Entertainment's Quantum 
and Woody. The news broke on The Wrap and was later confirmed by Valiant on Facebook. The Russos, who got their break with TV shows Arrested Development and Community, both were wonderful and both were canceled, are developing the series with fellow executive producers Mike LaRocca and Valiant CEO, CCO, Dinesh Shamdasani, with Ant-Man screenwriters Andrew Bearer and Gabriel Ferrari writing the plot. It sounds good so far. You can't go wrong here, right? I like, I'm into it. Everything they just said are things I like. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is kind of a... Things and people I like. Yeah, right. Uh, this is nouns kind of a, that I like. <laughs> yes, nouns people, I like. People, places, or things <laughs> that I like. <laughs> yeah, you're naming off words and phrases and clauses. This is kind of a big deal because these guys are huge at Marvel right now. Right. They directed uh, the last two Cap movies. Yeah. And they're directing the next two Avengers movies. Yeah. And then they're going to go do a TV show about Quantum and Woody. But that seems to be a very uh, popular thing to do for directors now. Create your own little media empire. Like, I mean... Supernatural, for example. It was produced by Mick G, I think, or something. Well, uh, yeah. You know, like these guys, they went, they know there's money to be made in TV. And if they can find some of, pluck some of their own talent, whether it's screenwriters or, you know, some guys in their photography crew and say, hey, we've got another job for you to keep you on board with us. This will keep you busy while we're getting ready to do something else. It's just natural. It's a money machine. Look, I'm excited for it. And as long, I mean, we both love Quantum and Woody. Yes, I do. There's no announcements as to what channel this is going to be on. I hope it is not network television. Yeah, put it on Netflix or or Hulu or something. Yeah, so they can do whatever they want. Right, right. So it doesn't turn into a 30-minute fart noise like Powerless. (laughs) Exactly. So this is going to be potentially the first show... In a, in a series of shows for Valiant, they've made that big announcement about all their movies. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a couple years ago at they've this point. They've got a ton of money behind them. And too. nothing has happened with the movies yet, but they're making those web shows yeah. currently. Have you watched any of them? I have not. I'm almost wondering if they are switching gears to a TV universe. I don't know. It, I, it seems like a better idea and less risky for a company like Valiant. <laughs> Test the water with TV shows first and then do a movie, as opposed to trying to do a major Exo Man of War motion picture. Well, I think the Bloodshot movie is still in de- it's still going, but it's listed as in development. Yeah. But I don't know what that means. All I know is they got the guy that played Deadshot on Arrow to play Ninjak on this web series. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this show is gonna be great. Well, I don't know it's gonna be great. I think all the but names I'm attached to it, it are great. Right now, all signs positive. Yeah. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, head over to the THN Forum's big news section. We got lots of news. Every Sunday, the man that cleans out Vincent Van Goat's kennel, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd sanctuary. If Vincent Van Goat is not on the show, I'm pissed. We riot. The THN Forum's Joe Patrick, what are we asking the nerds this week? This question of the week comes from forum user Axilla, who wants to talk about comic book weaknesses. I just saw Axilla the other day. Him and his brothers came in for lunch. Oh, all right. I don't know who Axilla is, actually. It's Nathan Aguilar. Oh, Nate Aguilar yeah. is Axilla. That makes sense. Uh, so he's talking about kryptonite, fire, etc. Right. It may be something physical, supernatural, psychological. Pick a weakness. Tell us why you think it's cool or stupid or why it's so ridiculous that you can't help but love it. Comic book weaknesses. Yep. Fun. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, March 24th, to get us your answer. 
Or you can call and talk about anything from this episode or the weekend news, the Iron Fist show. We're going to have some things to talk about later in the Iron Fist show, and I'm sure that you will have responses. Whatever you want to talk about, call us on the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Leave a message there, or you can record an MP3 and email it to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, you've got two minutes to do it. You will get cut off. Matt cut people off this week. I was mad about it. Too bad. I thought we were being more casual. I was wrong. Eat it. As part of the all-new, all-different cover-to-cover, you'll also be able to call in live using the Ziggurat hotline. We'll send out a Twitter blast, a Facebook post, whatever, to let you know when the show goes live. So, follow us on Twitter if you want to be internet famous. Who doesn't want that? If you need more than two minutes, guys, head over to the THN web forums. Join our faceless group of ninja assassin listeners in the discussion. You can write whatever you want, as long as you want, in the question of the week section. It's good fun. You can also suggest questions of the week there, like Aguilar did. If you don't have time or the stones to call into the answer of the week, the forums are the perfect place to rap about everything we do on this show and more. You'll love it there. The 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 answer of the week, question of the week uh, forum has been renamed THN Cover to Cover. Yes, it's called Cover to Cover. Yeah, but you'll get it. <laughs> review time in the ziggurat where joe and i spend more time working on dick and fart jokes into the discussion of this week's comics than actually revealing them joe let's talk about your man thing it's time it's time we talk about it (laughs) i haven't even finished my drink yet this week i'm reviewing man thing number one from marvel comics written by rl stein yeah that's the one yes with rl stein (laughs) with art by german peralta and Daniel Johnson, it's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Marvel welcomes R.L. Stein. Beloved writer R.L. Stein <laughs> brings his special brand of horror to Man-Thing. After working for years, Man-Thing has regained his ability to speak and has taken Hollywood by storm. A lot of caps in this solicitation. Lots of caps. <laughs> but when an ancient and mysterious danger threatens the swamp, Man thing, that was not in caps for some reason, is going to have to choose between his new life and celebrity and the world he used to call home. Brutal bummer. Yeah, it's real real sucky. Yeah. Many of you will remember R.L. Stein as the creator and author of the Goosebumps series of children's horror books. Yes, that R.L. Stein. That were uh, <laughs> huge in the 90s. I must have been too old to care at the time because that phenomenon passed me by completely growing up. Yeah, we would have missed it. I, or, I it just, was after our time. Yeah. So for me, my eagerness to read this series came more from curiosity than excitement. Uh, but Stein doesn't seem to miss a beat transitioning from prose to comics. And he's taken the B-movie quality of the character and injected it full of campiness. Campitude. Campitude. Yeah. Man-Thing, a.k.a. Ted Salas, has regained his intelligence and speech because, no kidding, he worked really hard at it. (laughs) Instead of immediately finding a lab or a super genius superhero, he heads straight to L.A. to make it big in the movies. Sure. Of course, his status as an eight-foot-tall, shambling muck monster means that he doesn't test well with focus groups, and he becomes yet another lost soul, chewed up and spit out by kind the of, Hollywood system. Kind of BS. Think of all like the famous Hollywood ugly people. They're Michael like, Shannon. Yeah, like when you're not... Uh, Michael Shannon. Abe Vigoda. I would say Michael Shannon's kind of 
good looking. He's a hot. <laughs> he's just a weirdo. You just uh, I have a fetish. No. Yeah. He's just, I, I want weirdos to kiss me. <laughs> yes. It's absurd. And if you try to read it as the serious incontinuity adventures of Marvel's iconic swamp creature, it's going to drive you crazy. Yes. But when taken from a different point of view, it kind of works in a satirical 1970s Steve Gerber kind of way. The backup story features a pianist plotting to murder his fiance while at sea in order to get a hold of her magical wish-granting ring. Oh, he gets the ring all right. And it leads to an ironic twist that could have been narrated by the Crypt Keeper or Rod Serling. Peralta's clean and detailed art is a great fit for the main story. His man thing completely stands out from his Hollywood surroundings and colorist Rochelle Rosenberg fills the line art with soft, with a soft and moody palette of greens and browns and Daniel Johnson's work in the second story is a lot more creepy and exaggerated and it's perfect for the twilight zone style horror tale. The past two weeks have been full of surprising comics Books that I didn't think had any business existing, let alone being good. And I'm going to talk about this more in the ludicrous speed round. Man thing number one was one of those books for me. It reminded me of those great horror anthologies from a bygone era, like Tales from the Crypt or classic black and white Marvel magazines from the 70s. These are stories that sometimes they're scary. Sometimes they have a comedy twist or a satirical twist sure. or an absurdist twist. Right. Stein, Peralta, and Johnson have delivered a unique take for sure. Unique. Very unique. I'll give you that. Take on this character. And I'm interested to read more of it. I mean, it's a five issue mini. Yeah. And I'm not expecting this to forever impact the life of Man Thing, the character. No, 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 no. But in the moment, I just, I, I, maybe it caught me in a certain mood, but I'm, I'm into it. And I'm just as surprised at it about it as you are. Okay, your review. I'm giving it a buy it for the record. Your review is softening. My feelings for you like, and I knew that you would feel this way. Yeah, because it's the format is very cool, and it's exactly what I would like for a man thing book. And I liked the backup story a lot. It was really good. It and it told me it reminded me of all the same stuff you talked about. But when you put this funny man thing story into a horror anthology, it makes the two stories feel really weird. It's ridiculous. Side by yes. side. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely absurd. And yeah, I just felt like the man thing. And it's not just because I love the man thing. Right. I admit the man thing is a boring character. He doesn't talk. That probably can't sustain a book on his own. <laughs> right. and this might be the only way to do it. Sure. Unless you're going to do a man thing horror anthology. The man thing is witnessing this. The man thing's like the watcher that shows up right. to see these horrors. Like take my, place. I guess my point my point of view was coming from the stance that like I have been reading stories about man things showing up and setting scared people on fire right. for forty years. Right. It's like this is a different take. It's and, clever. It's perfectly yeah. clever. I just, I don't love it. And I can, I'm giving it a skim it sure. because I think it was well executed, but it's not what I wanted. And when you sure. grab R.L. Stein, who was writing horror for kids, but still writing horror, I thought that's what we were going to get. Uh, see, and I, I remember when they first announced this, they talked about him going to Hollywood and right. becoming a star in the solicit. So, yeah. I was primed for all that from the beginning, and I was like, how the hell are they going to well, pull that maybe off? I was hoping it was like a King Kong thing where they put him in a cage and filmed him. And yeah, I don't right. know, you know, <laughs> I, like an elephant man type thing. I but. think, uh, like, if I were going to be truly fair, it probably does deserve a skim it just from the point of view that, like, you're either going to love it or right. get it, right. or you're going to hate it. Yeah. Like, there's not going to be, you're not going to read it and go, eh, whatever. 
Because you either want a traditional man thing story or you don't care. Yes. I came into this with a big leave it. You softened me to a skim it. It's still not the man thing I want to read. But like for me, like I enjoyed it. Sure. So, I mean, take that for what it is. And I, I did too. It was perfectly enjoyable. It's just, I don't know. It wasn't what I wanted. It's definitely not a traditional man no. thing story. And I didn't want that either because those aren't going to sell. Let's be well, honest. And the backup story wasn't even about man thing. No, at all. So. Let's talk about something that might be a little bit more traditional. Giant cosmic vaginas. <laughs> sort of. Neil Gaiman, American Gods, Shadows, number one. Because just calling this American Gods wouldn't be enough. Yeah, because it's like a direct adaptation of American Gods, right? Well, part of it. Yeah. I okay. guess. This is from Dark Horse. The story is by Neil Gaiman. The script and layouts are by P. Craig Russell, and the art is by Scott Hampton. It's a big name Which book. means I don't know what any of these people did other than Scott Hampton. <laughs> sure, fair. 32 pages for $3.99. Neil Gaiman's American Gods was first published as a novel in 2001. I read it. I loved it. Since then, it's become one of Gaiman's highest praised work, and now, just before it becomes a TV series, Dark Horse gives us a comic book adaptation. And comic book adaptations can be tough. Whether it's a book, a movie, or a video game, it can be very easy to lose the spirit and the feel of the original story. That said, with names like P. Craig Russell and Gaiman on the job, I wasn't worried at all for American Gods. Turns out I was wrong. Oh. <laughs> Starting with Hampton's stiff photo-referenced art and digital backgrounds, this comic just launches with a thud. His panels looked rushed sometimes completely unfinished. His shading is way too dark, and his characters have the most bizarre facial expressions. Even Russell's layouts were boring at best. But honestly, with the amount of dialogue and narration that they packed into this first issue, the creators probably didn't have any other choice but to draw around the copy. The beginning of the story is sluggish and slow, and when it's supposed to get interesting, the pacing is so bad that the moment the main character meets one of the American gods, it's so odd that it just feels completely out of place, and then the story goes right back to the boring place it was. This was just a poor attempt at an adaptation of a truly wonderful novel that probably shouldn't have been adapted in the first place. I'm giving this a leave it. Wow, I did I'm not kind of care. stunned. I just didn't care. And I disagree with you about the art. I mean, yes, it's some of those panels are just weird as hell. But I mean, this is this is Scott Hampton. This is what Scott Hampton does. I agree. I'm just saying it didn't work at all. Even for Scott Hampton, I thought some of the stuff looked completely unfinished. I like the art. Really? Uh, yeah, I got to disagree. There were with you some about the panels art. that were beautiful like when he's flashing back, when the main character is mm -hmm. flashing back to his wife, there are some beautiful panels that really stick out in this book, but they make the other panels just look weaker and herkier and jerkier. I don't know. I didn't care about this. All right. Well, I've never read the book, and so I wasn't sure what to expect. I I've seen the trailer for the show. Sure. Um I know who Shadow Moon is yeah. based on the trailer. I know who Mr. Wednesday is. He's a uh... What's his face? Ian McShane, right? Yes. Uh, in this comic book, he looks like Rip Torn <laughs> from Men in Black. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I thought was great. I think that American Gods is probably, I assume, a pretty thick book. It's There's so many ideas in American Gods that build up through the story. Like The first thing they talk about is all the characters in this book are fictional, but the gods are real. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it sets off this big mind fuck. And they, I think they're trying to 
build to something like that. I don't know if a comic book adaptation is the best way to tell this story at all. I will. Agree. I feel like they picked the wrong book to adapt. I will agree that maybe adapting it in comic book floppy form yes. is maybe the wrong choice. Yes. Because I do agree that it takes... Let me back up. I actually thought it was pretty compelling. Like I, I enjoyed the story of Shadow getting out of prison and his backstory and all of the stuff that's happening to him. And yes, it does. It doesn't really get to the point until the very end, which was fine with me because I was enjoying Shadow's story up until that point. Um, it does get into some pretty weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, with, there's a backup story that's drawn by P. Craig Russell, which is gorgeous, which is beautiful. And I'm sure this is all familiar to people that have read the book, but it is like this, this goddess swallowing a dude with her vagina. Yeah. And it's just like, well, okay. I mean, that's kind of a weird place. Gods do weird stuff. That's what they do. Look, I get it. I get it. It's just, it, it was kind of a disconnect from the first story. Um, so it was just an odd package. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I'm going to give the book a skim it. Just because I really enjoyed the first half and the second half left me going, what See, is that's, happening? Neil Gaiman, in my opinion, is very good at writing books. And Neil Gaiman is very good at writing comics. But I don't know that we need to take Neil Gaiman's books and crush them into comics. I think he understands how to do that. And what kind of stories should be told where. American Gods is a novel. And he chose to write it as a novel because of all the ideas that he pushed into it. I don't think they're going to be able to get it out in comic book form and make it make sense. All right. Really. So you know what? This is something that I would love for people to call in about. Yeah. Next week. Definitely. On cover to cover. Uh, American Gods fans that read the comic or, or non-fans that read yeah, the comic. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, because obviously Matt and I are divided on it. I liked it more than he did. And even though I liked it, I wasn't completely sold on it. Uh, so it's divisive and I want to know what you guys think about is Neil Gaiman even. divisive. <laughs> I want to know what you guys think about Neil Gaiman in general and whether or not his books translate well to the comics. Yeah. What you thought of this comic in particular. Let's rap about it. Yeah. So that is a buy it and a skim it for man thing. Number one. And a leave it and a skim it for American Gods number one. Goodness. That's more than enough of our opinions, though. We want to hear from you nerds. Head over to the THN forums and let us know. Or call us, like we said, next week. Let's rap about these comics. I want to hear what you guys thought of American Gods. Uh, you can definitely see that there was a theme to this week's review, and that is we are conflicted about both of the books we chose. <laughs> Deeply. All right, enough of this long-form review BS. Now it's time for Matt and I to unleash the full fury of our kung fu. Stand back while we explode into a whirlwind of feet and fists and teeth and fingernails. Whoa. While we review ten more of this and last week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, The Big Lie, number one from Dynamite. If you had told me last week that Dynamite published a Nancy Drew Hardy Boys team-up comic, I would have rolled my eyes and made a joke about Dynamite always jumping on the hottest licensed properties. If you had told me that Dynamite published a Nancy Drew Hardy Boys team-up comic and it was actually awesome, I would have slapped you in the face and called you a goddamn liar. But you would have been right. <laughs> Ed Hardy has been framed for a crime he didn't commit and then murdered in prison. What? <laughs> Ed Hardy, that's the Hardy Boys' dad, right? Yeah, yeah, the guy that made all the uh, surfboards and bad Yeah, right. Shirts. Yeah, yeah. 
Now his boys are prime suspects and only Nancy Drew can help them crack the case. Young adult lit's most famous teen detectives have been reimagined in this gritty noir style by writer Anthony Del Cole and artist Werther Del Edra. And it was a delight from start to finish. No joke. It was really good. It was really good. Nancy Drew and Ed Hardy's boys gets a buy it from me. <laughs> Ed Hardy's boys. Redline number one from Oni. In the near future on Mars, humanity is fighting a war against some type of blue alien yeah. that's only referred to in future racial slurs. The story gets completely bogged down in ridiculously bad language, attempting to sound like characters from a Vietnam War movie. It seems like there's a mystery brewing here, but I just completely lost interest in wading through all the military bro speak. The art was solid, but I'm probably not going to read anymore. I'm giving it a skim it for art and maybe idea. I'm not sure where it's... You know what? I'm going to leave it. Divinity 3, Escape from Gulag 396. It's a one-shot. It's from Valiant. Wow. You really went on a journey with that last <laughs> one. Well, I just, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, fuck that. It sucked. All right. <laughs> this is your semi-weekly reminder that Valiant comics are awesome. With their histories rewritten by a godlike cosmic communist, Archer is now a man imprisoned for his faith in a religion that has been banned by the state. Frickin' commies. I know. Armstrong is stuck in solitary confinement drinking toilet wine when Archer comes along and changes his life. Fun fact, they call toilet wine Pruno, because it used to be made with prunes. Okay. Here you go. <laughs> Matt learned that in the joint. I learned it when we made Pruno. Okay, cool. In my friend's toilet. Okay. It was all. We got there. <laughs> you don't need to know anything about Archer and Armstrong or even the Divinity series to enjoy this issue. It's pretty self-contained. Uh, the creators, Elliot Rahal and Francis Portella, nailed it on story and the art. And if you are reading Divinity, this is a great tie-in that complements the main story. Plus, another fun backup story about uh, one of Divinity's little Avengers knockoff uh, Oh, right, right, right. People that are running around with her. This lady's kind of like a cross between Thor and Wonder Woman. Yeah. It was kick-ass. It had a last page that made me giggle. Uh, that was by Matt Kent and Juan Jose Rip, whose art was way less wet and gross this I've time. I've been telling you, he's been getting so good. Look, read this comic, read Valiant Comics, Divinity 3, EFG 396, gets a buy it. <laughs> wow. That sounded like you were just saying stuff in the end. <laughs> I know, I was. <laughs> Street Tiger, number one from Amigo. Think Charles Bronson and Death Wish with a bike helmet and a tiger on his shirt, and you'll begin to understand the 80s action, movie fun, and violence of Street Tiger. The art here is extremely minimalist. It reminded me of Jeff Lemire meets early Michelle Pfeiffer. But it works really well. There's nothing groundbreaking going on in the pages of Street Tiger. Oh, wow, was it a fun read. I'm giving it a buy it. Kill Shakespeare, past his prologue, Juliet, number one. Thank you, Connor McCreary, for introducing the show. That's right. But please, you guys, knock it off with these, like, three-pronged titles. Dear God. It's ridiculous. It's like we're turning into manga day by day here. <laughs> Connor McCreary and Corin Howell bring us the tale of Juliet Capulet if she had survived her fateful suicide pact with Romeo. McCreary's story of Juliet trying to find new meaning in a world that she's been trying to leave behind was really compelling. And Howell's art has a nice animated quality to it, almost like Don Bluth presents Shakespeare. I also appreciated that the dialogue was Shakespeare-esque without needing a master's in literature to understand. Honestly, I am not a Shakespeare person, but this was really great. 
I'm surprised that I liked it as much as I did, but I'm giving Kill Shakespeare Juliet number one a buy it. Is this your first experience with Kill Shakespeare? I think that we reviewed issue one of the original Kill Shakespeare yeah, on the show so. when we were just getting started. It's been quite a while since we've seen a Kill Shakespeare. Uh, there have been multiple series. Uh, this is an advanced review. Actually, it comes out the 29th, the, the last March, the last Wednesday in March. Okay. Cody and the Creepies, number one from Boom. Cody is the drummer for the Creepies, a three-piece riot girl punk band making their way across the country to collect pins from all of America's legendary punk venues. But their rivals, the Boneheads, a hardcore group of chauvinist pigs, is hot on their heels. And there's a supernatural aspect here, too. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Liz Prince and artist Amanda Kirk give readers a fun and completely adorable read with a hilarious twist. This, there were aspects of this that reminded me of Teen Dog, but it was well more like connected. You said the magic words. Right. I'm reading this comic. Well more connected and had a really fun story. Cody and the Creepies was an absolute joy to read. I This was my favorite book of the week. I'm giving it a buy it. Nice. Star Trek Deviations one shot from IDW. Writer Donnie Cates and artist Josh Hood bring us this what-if style tale where the Borg successfully prevented first contact leading to a world where the Romulans conquered and enslaved the Federation. Oh, cool. This was wonderful. Full of neat twists and a great cliffhanger. Teasing that the story might continue. It won't. Not going to. But it was still fun. But it ended with, like, to be continued? Question mark. I was like, <laughs> yes! Awesome art by Josh Hood, who seems capable of producing almost effortless likenesses that didn't distract from the rest of the art. I'm really excited about Donnie Cates as an up-and-coming writer, and this is just the latest in a long string of great books he's done. Star Trek Deviations gets a huge buy it. It was so fun. Grass Kings, number one from Boom. This was my pick from the last show. Matt Kent teams with Peter Panzerfaust artist Tyler Jenkins to tell the story of three brothers ruling over their off-the-grid trailer park. The park resides on a piece of land that's had a very violent history, and Kent hints at possible supernatural aspects to the area, too. Did they? Yeah, I think so. There's a slow burn mystery here with amazing art from Jenkins. Get on board with Grass Kings now, because I wouldn't be surprised to see it on plenty of best of the year lists this December. Buy it. So this is sort of like Royal City, where we were like... Maybe there's a ghost. <laughs> no, no, it's it's it was lighter than that. You sure? And it basically happens in the first few pages where they're like, Yeah, no, I mean, I read the it. history of this land. Yeah. Now, why these guys would feel the same way as everyone else that's been there, we don't know. Yeah. Maybe there's something going on. A uh, side note for Bleeding Cool: If you are going to put up a background on your website advertising Grass Kings, make sure it's formatted so it doesn't say Ass Kings. <laughs> Ask Kings, different book. Yeah, yeah. way different. Vampirella, number one from Dynamite. Vibby receives her 10,000th reboot, courtesy of writer Paul Cornell and artist Jimmy Broxton, thrusting her forward thousands of years in time into a world full of futuristic dildos. It's about time. Yeah. Broxton's <laughs> art is really lovely, and it's not at all what I'd expect from a Vampirella book, but I thought that the story was incomprehensible, almost as if I had missed a couple of issues that set up the plot. It wasn't bad, I guess, but it's definitely not a first issue that made me want to continue following the story. I'm giving Vampirella, number one, a very generous skim it. Warhammer 40k Revelations, number one from Titan. If you love the wordy death metal lyrical stylings of the Warhammer 40k universe like I do, you'll feel perfectly at home with George Mann's story here. I really enjoy Titan's 40k books, and I'm glad to see the series return, but I really 
really wish the art was better. It's not bad. It's just not as gorgeous as the illustrations I love from my old Warhammer codices. I'm giving this a skim it. Varoosh! That is your ludicrous speed round. And Varoosh is out of my of the week. And the sound of elder jet bikes racing to cause some problems is seen in the pages of Warhammer 40k Revelations number one. If you need more speedy reviews of this week's comics, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out our favorite space elf, Aaron Meyer's ludicrous speed reviews. Although that guy loves everything. <laughs> he really liked Vampirella number one. He loved so it. He you can take it. his opinions with a grain of salt. Matt. Kai Lung the Thunderer flew in from Kun Lun, and he's waiting in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to cane our backsides for ditching our training after we decided becoming living weapons was, quote-unquote, too hard. Well, it was just harder than we thought it was going to be, I guess. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> really I thought it would be like a good week way to spend a weekend. <laughs> what do you say we discuss our must-read comics for next week while we get our butts whipped? Sounds like a plan. Next week, ugh, I'm excited for Iron Fist. Ugh, oh, now you're just sucking one. up to the teacher. <laughs> From Marvel, written by Ed Brisson, with art by Mike Perkins. It's 32 pages for $3.99. The gauntlet starts here! Kun Lun is in ruins. The chai fueling Danny's fists <laughs> is wavering. Is there a future for the Iron Fist? Danny Rand pushes himself to the breaking point, finding fights to prove his worth. But a bigger fight than he can handle may have found him. I really want a good Iron Fist comic book. And we'll go into why in a little bit here. I didn't have a huge problem with Kari Andrews. Iron Fist, but it was so whacked out and bonkers. You had Iron Fist like running up skyscrapers and exploding all the windows with his chi while he was screaming. Yeah, I mean, now, the reason I didn't have a problem with it is because it looked really cool because Kari Andrews was drawing it, but that's not really my Iron Fist. <laughs> you know, I haven't really cared about Iron Fist, the comic book character, since Immortal yes, Iron Fist. We ended. need a soft yeah. reset on Iron Fist. I'm hoping Ed Brisson can do it. He does great work on books like Sheltered. I hope it's better than the very awful cover leads me to believe it will yeah, be. I don't know. I just... Some intern photoshopped a shitty logo <laughs> onto the, like a Street Fighter <laughs> over a Street Fighter uh, painted cover. To be fair, there's like 17 different covers. So yeah, okay. Just don't buy that sure, one. Sure, yeah, right. Joe, what's your pick? Next week, I am excited to read Unworthy Thor number five of five. When was the last time we both picked Marvel books? I know. Yeah. <sighs> I, for, I somehow blanked out that this was supposed to be a miniseries. Was it always supposed to be a miniseries? Yes. This was always a mini. I'm so disappointed. It's from Marvel Comics, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Olivier Coipel and Various. So maybe don't get too excited, because I think they might be under the gun time-wise. Could be. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's the solicit. The hammer of the ultimate Thor is finally within reach of Asgard's fallen son. Is redemption finally at hand? No matter what happens next, life will never be the same for the Odin son. I really like the Unworthy Thor. It I think has it's awesome. Been the best. This issue is finally going to reveal what Nick Fury said to Thor. Sure, it does. We'll see. According, we like, this will is what they say, see. Matt. This is what they said. But look, open letter to all the Thor haters out there right now. They're like, oh, girl, it's stupid. If nothing else, and I'm not, I love Jane as Thor. I think that book is wonderful. But if nothing else, if we had to have Jane become Thor just to get this unworthy Thor story, it's good. I'm fine with that. Yeah. This is amazing. It's so damn good. I've really loved it. Oh. And like, not to mention, 
more page time for Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder than any comic book in the last Fine 40 years. Me. And Beta Ray Bill, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> the THN Trade of the Week goes to the Flintstones, Volume 1, Trade Paperback, and I'm not kidding. It's from DC Comics. It's written by Mark Russell with art by Steve Pudge. Steve Pugh. Yeah, that too. It's 168 pages for $16.99. Come on. Hmm. Come on, they're giving it away. It's like 10 cents a page. It's the Flintstones. You've never seen them before. Issues one through six of this new series starring the first family of Bedrock and Civilization, I guess. Tell the story of the dawn of civilization through the eyes of Fred, Wilma, Barney, Betty, and the rest of the citizens of Bedrock. Shining a light on humanity's oldest customs and institutions. Writer Mark Russell, who also brought us Prez, blends satire with Hanna-Barbera's classic characters. I know it sounds like who gives a shit. The Flintstones is amazing. It's so good. It's laugh out loud funny. Yeah. It is poignant. It's It's beautiful to look at. Beautifully illustrated. It is so good. And if they were to relaunch a Flintstones cartoon like this, it would be a hit. Yeah. An all in all hit. Do it. Adult Swim. Get this on on television. Come on. Remember, you can pick up all of the comics we talked about this week and our picks for next week at your local comic book shop or... By using our THN Amazon link. Head to the show notes for each and every episode, click that link, and shop as normal. Get your books, support the show at the exact same time at no extra cost. There you go. Joe, another St. Patty's Day has come and gone. But this one came with a special present from the good people at Marvel Studios and Netflix. It seems there's no better way to celebrate a drunken, made-up Irish-American holiday than binging on the new Iron Fist series. Joey, it's time for the definitive review of Iron Fist while we play Nerd TV! You're referencing something when you do that, right? That nobody remembers but you? Yeah, I don't care. Okay, cool. Yeah. It was Dave TV. Dave TV. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. David Lee Roth. I got it. Yeah, I get it. I know who. I figured. It was so great. Iron Fist is here. All right. It's got a whopping 17% rating (laughs) on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I was so terrified. Just like reading the initial ratings. And I try not to do that because I don't want to color how I'm going to think about these shows. And I realize I'm a nerd and maybe I'm going to see something that they're not. Let me ask you this. To start off, let's just be blunt about it. Are the critics wrong? Um, I think there's no such thing as critics being wrong because critique is subjective. I'm going to ask uh, you again. Are the critics wrong? I want a blanket yes or no answer. But that doesn't do anybody any good. A we'll blanket, go into it yeah. after that. Give me a blanket yes or no. No. No, I agree. They're not wrong. But I mean, again, I just told you why the question is meaningless. Uh, so let's set it up. Let's set it up real quick. Iron Fist is the story of Danny Rand, a boy whose plane crashed in the Himalayas as a child, his parents are killed and he is rescued and raised essentially by a group of martial arts, crazy monks Yes, in a mystical city called Kun Lun, which is now Canon. That's how you pronounce yeah, it. It's not Kun Lun. Yeah. Like we thought, uh, and it, and a uh, Kun Lun is a city that's like out of phase with our dimension. So that the doorway to get there only appears once every 15 years. Right. They refer to it as one of the seven cities of heaven. Yes. And so Danny is back on earth in New York city after 15 years away, trying to reconnect with his old life. Right. Uh, he's obviously very different uh, due to his life experiences. And he f- is finding resistance in the form of his childhood friends who have now taken over the company that his father and their father built. Right. Now we should say this 
very much builds on the Ed Brubaker history of Iron Fist that we loved when Ed Brubaker came in and gave us basically a definitive history of Iron Fist. Because before this, we weren't really sure. We knew some no, aspects all of the background. This, all really of this, out. Yes, all of this stuff is from old comics long before Ed Brubaker. Well, but he sharpened it into the seven cities and everything, and Danny was a kid. I mean, if you're talking about specifically Kun Lun, yeah. then yes. But yeah. we should also say that we've only watched... You've watched the first four. I've watched four. I've watched five. So we haven't finished the show. No, these are our initial reactions. Um, are we going to get into spoilers? I don't think we need to get into spoilers. Let's just get into specifics. Let's start with... Aren't specifics spoilers? No, I mean, speci- <laughs> I mean specifics about acting. Let's start right. with Danny himself. Uh, okay, so we're not going to really discuss this, but you'll, you'll all know that there was a controversy or a debate surrounding the casting of Iron Fist. Um, By people who don't know who the character is. No, yeah. don't, don't <laughs> do that. Stop it. Uh, Marvel chose to play it, it pretty much exactly like the comic. And they cast Finn Jones, who plays um, Loras Terrell on Game of Thrones. Yeah, the gay one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he was queer. There's lots of gay characters on Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, I guess everybody's gay. narrow that down. Almost everybody's gay on Game of Thrones, come to think of it. <laughs> initially, I was unsure. He's kind of a thin, you know, skinny, scrawny kind of dude. I don't have a problem with that. And we were just like, ah, he'll bulk up, whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, now, But I've also never thought of Iron Fist as being like this gigantic ripped up. No, not gigantic know. ripped up, but he definitely was, like physically like. Well, yeah, he was always a wiry kind of guy. That could move really fast, you know. Sure. And- so here we are. The show is here. Finn Jones is Danny Rand. Yes. And I'm here to tell you that all controversy aside, he sort of sucks. He totally sucks. He's not and very it, good. And for the record, I I'm not even talking about that controversy. He's a bad actor. He's not and, and maybe he's not a bad actor. He's <clears throat> bad in this role. Nothing about Finn Jones, the way he carries himself, the way he talks, the way he acts. Nothing about him says to me, I am a martial arts master. It's more like he is a petulant, young, sort of dumb character who stumbles around without any idea how to handle himself in any, almost like an autistic person in some situations where like he lashes out at characters for almost no reason in really strange scenes. He also his his ability to be, uh, his mastery of martial arts seems to come and go depending on whether or not the script dictates somebody get the drop on him. Right. Very much like how He-Man would have trouble lifting a large rock and other times he would just lift Castle Grayskull over his head without breaking a sweat. You know? So, like, people just, like, show up and punch him in the side of the head and he's like, oh, that hurt. Right. Ah." You know, and it's strictly just because it's bad storytelling. So, Iron Fist, Iron Fist should be, in theory, the most formidable martial artist on the planet earth at the time he arrives in New York city. Right? Well, he's trained by mystical warrior months months in a hidden city. I'm still saying Shang-Chi beats his ass. I don't agree. Master of Kung Fu. That's his name. Okay. But iron fist knows way more than just Kung Fu. I get it. Shang-Chi beats his ass. This is, it's, it's, <laughs> okay. It's, that's a, that's your bias. That's a debate that's for bias a, another again. time. Anyway, by the way, Shang-Chi, the Asian guy, they should be casting for an Asian Kung Fu character. Okay? Stop it. There. Stop it. Stop it. You aren't <laughs> understanding the point of the debate. The point of the We're debate not getting into it. It doesn't apply here, but I'm not going into it. It doesn't apply. Period. You keep shifting the focus <laughs> onto something else. And that's not what people are mad Regardless. about. Anyhow, 
Uh, yeah. So he's he's bad at kung fu for ninety percent of the time. Yeah. Uh, until he gets in some awkward fights that don't look that great. Uh, and his personality, he's he was a young boy when he was rescued and then raised for fifteen years by these sure. warrior monks in a in a majestic foreign land. Right. Right. Beautiful mountain city. So you would expect that his personality would be something uh, a little different than like eight-year-old boy right. lost in New York. Right. Like, I mean, Kevin he, McAllister in Home Alone 2. He talks about like how uh, the, the teachings of Buddha and, and the Tao of fighting and all this stuff, but he does not act at all like this chill yeah. person that was raised by monks and taught to it's meditate. It's like when he came home, he, he regressed. Yeah. He acts like a petulant little kid. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't like him as Iron no, Fist. No, he was completely unlikable as a character, period. There was nothing, there was never a time, like, I started thinking about, okay, the first time I saw Luke Cage use his powers. Before he did that, I already liked the character. Mike Coulter, yeah. Yeah, I, they made you like the character. He's kind of mysterious. He's a nice guy. He's intelligent. There was nothing here that made you like Danny Rand, that made you connect to him, that made you care about him. I tweeted this out last night. I mean, I think that the most compelling, the most sympathetic character on Iron Fist right now is Ward Meacham, the evil brother. (laughs) Yeah. Because that dude just wants to run his company and he's got his dead dad yelling at him and his dead best friend yelling at him. And the guy's just trying to make a living. Tom Pelfrey is the actor's name and he's a good actor. He he was uh, on uh, Banshee is where I first saw him. Um, he played a reformed neo-Nazi who became a cop. He is the oldest 35-year-old on the planet. Looking he is. Th- and okay, on the let's planet. talk about that casting as well. The guy that's supposed to be playing his father, David Wenham, looks like he's two years older than him. But he's not. I looked it up. I had the same thought, but he is He's he a good-looking old guy. Yeah, it, he just aged well. Do something to make oh. him look like his dad, please. Because uh, I was like, wait a minute, that's his dad? Slight spoiler. <laughs> they address it on the show. Boom. They make a comment about his okay. appearance on the show. Okay, I haven't gotten that far. So yeah, that is a minor spoiler. I retract. But that. I had the exact same thought, and I had to look him up. I was like, "What? What year was this guy born?" But I will say, and this is another, and I'm going to keep talking about Luke Cage because Danny and Luke are very good friends. So I'm going to put the two shows side by side and compare and contrast. Yeah, fair. The bad guy, Cottonmouth from Luke Cage, was very interesting. Academy Award winner. Mahershala Ali. Sorry, I would have. I didn't look that up. Mahershala. 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 Yeah. Ali. Now, maybe he's just a much, much better actor. But he was compelling. I liked him when he was on screen. And when they took him out, I was mad about it. Yes, because he was this great character. He really was. This bad guy, played by uh, David Wenham, is a mustache twiddling. Just generic bad guy. But also now, like five episodes in, I'm not even sure if he's really supposed to be the villain. He's not the... He's not a good person. He's not the main villain. I don't think he's obviously working for something that's connected to somebody else. It's the hand. Yeah, Yeah. and that's another thing they forced into Danny's background is like, oh, yeah, I was trained by these warriors, these monks, to fight the hand. That is not part of Iron Fist's background. Yeah, but that's fine. Iron Fist has fought the hand. In in the context of Marvel Netflix, that's what they got. They got the hand. I get it, but I'm saying we don't need that. The hand's already evil. Just have him fight them. Fine. I don't care. I don't need it to be a prophecy that they've stuck in here. You know, we, it didn't need that at all. It just felt tacked on. But regardless of that, the whole story here 
let's let's back up. This is supposed to be about one of Marvel's preeminent martial arts masters. What does that say to you? Kick-ass fight scenes. Yes, that says there's going to be kick-ass fight scenes in this. Finn Jones is not a martial artist. Nope. And God bless him, I'm sure he trained really, really hard to For do two months, what he's probably. doing yeah. in this show. It looks terrible. It the, looks terrible. They, they, they employ a lot of, like quick cuts yeah it's like you remember when it was all the rage in superhero movies to have those really quick cut close-up fights right. so you can't actually see what anybody's doing right but there's a lot of grunting or even more so like uh the born films with matt damon yeah right all the fight scenes there i mean but they were great they were handled very well but there was really close and really fast and hectic and it just looked painful this just looks bad yeah and i would say it's not they tried quick cuts but they're doing slow things in those quick cuts the woman that plays uh Colleen Wing. Colleen Wing. I can't find her name here. Oh, Jessica Henwick is definitely a martial artist. She's great. She's very good at what she does, and in her fight scenes, they're brutal, they're quick, they look good. When she fights Finn Jones for the first time, it is laughable. It was literally laughable. Yeah. And, and this is coming from someone who truly loves martial arts movies. I watch a lot of martial arts movies. This just looked dumb. And you're trying to sell me a story about a badass martial artist. Even when he uses his powers. The first time we saw Luke Cage like use his powers, I got goosebumps. I went, whoa. Luke Cage is badass. He's throwing dudes around. He looks cool. The first time they do it here, it looks dumb, first of all. Second of all, Emmy. it takes him so long to charge up his fist. And there's another scene where he uses his iron fist when he absolutely does not need to. If you're a martial arts badass, just beat this guy up. But it's a scene in the hospital where he's going to see if he can find records of a fracture that he had from an x-ray to prove he is oh, yeah. who he is. Right. And he walks So you in. didn't see the part I was talking about. Okay. That's the scene I was talking about where the guy gets the drop on him yeah. for no reason. And this guy just like punches him in the side of the head and he gets hurt. And instead of just turning around and kung fuing the hell out of this guy, which he could do in his sleep, he stops and meditates for a minute to charge up his fist and punch the guy once. And it just kind of knocks him down. You know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like the creators didn't, it's like they didn't do their homework, one, and they don't know what they're doing with the story. Well, see, I feel like they've got a firm grasp on the character of Iron Fist because the lore is there. Yes, the right? lore is definitely there. Uh, the direction, like yeah. the way that they made him act. Mm. It was just mind-boggling. I and I agree that like when Iron Fist unleashes his Iron Fist, right? It should be intimidating and impressive. Absolutely, like I should freak out. I should be, that should be the moment where you go, okay, I'm watching this show. They they did it in every other Marvel Netflix series. The first time we saw Daredevil walk down that hallway and beat the crap yeah. out of everyone. Yeah. And then those guys got back up and he had to beat them up again. You know? yeah, right. <laughs> that was an amazing and, scene. And, and I will say this, like every time that they sh prominently showed Iron Fist in a hallway, right. I was like, well, here we go. <laughs> yeah, like, give me something. So like Netflix has trained me to expect these right. very impressive. Jessica Jones. Feats. The first time we saw her, like they revealed for people who didn't know, like she was super strong and stuff. The first time we revealed it, it was impressive and it was cool. The first time Luke Cage did something with his powers, it was impressive and it was cool. And we never had that moment. Never had that moment. And the character is completely unlikable and probably just completely miscast. Yeah, I think this I mean, is just terrible casting. I have I have heard from a number of people that like, oh, it really picks up. It really picks up. And I'm like, 
I'm five episodes in. Yeah. Of 12 or right. 13. Like, how much do you expect us to watch? Right. There have been a couple moments here and there where I was like, ooh, that's neat. Like, when he punches the door off of a hospital, uh, the huge metal, like, vault yeah. style door off. It's like, yeah, Iron Fist, cool. But the way that they illustrate his power is kind of weak. It's stupid. Right? You don't see it nearly enough. No. And when you do see it, it's not super impressive. And I don't think we even get to that until episode three. Yeah, so... I mean, it's just... I, maybe there's something to be said for going for a slow burn, but I never would have thought one of my critiques of the new Netflix Iron Fist show is there's too much fucking talking. I mean, it's dull. <laughs> it is just dull. It's kind of dull. At the end of the day, the story completely drags. The two main bad characters, who may or may not be bad, get like lost in the sea of, well, who's really bad and what's really going on? And is this a family drama? Is it a courtroom drama? Is it a martial arts show? It, like, it doesn't even know what it is. Well, I mean, the other shows have been a little bit like that as well. They've had episodes that weren't exactly focused on the A plot. No, I'll give you that, but they always <clears throat> were very close to what was it? Like Daredevil. There were law cases they dealt with. Right. Daredevil was a lawyer. That makes sense. He is in a law firm. Luke Cage. There was stuff going on in the neighborhood that he had to deal with that had nothing to do with the testing on him and his powers and the other people that might be looking for him. That made sense. Iron Fist... I get it. He's Danny Rand. Why does he want his company back so bad? Why is he so concerned about his name and all this stuff when he didn't care at all when he first came back and thought everything was just like, whatever. They right. Like when, when they didn't think he was Danny Rand and they thought right. he was conning him, he was like, what? I don't, what, I don't know what you guys mean. I don't want the company. Yeah. Blah, blah. And then the second they were like, we believe you. Yeah. Then he wanted they it. Flip a switch and he's like, right. it's, it's my name and my company. Like it just, they, like, and I understand like in the context of the show, like they wanted him to give up the name. Sure. And, and so, yeah, okay. But yeah, you're right. It was like a complete 180 in the character's motivations. Right. Which also had nothing at all to do with David Wenham's character or the hand or whatever. Right. It was just like this, that's okay, well, thing. I guess he's rich now. They never sell you on any of the side things that's going around yeah. because there's nothing to, there's nothing about this main character that you care about. So who gives a shit about the side story? Right. There's no identity for the main character. They, they have the lore down but they have no idea who Danny Rand is. And I think this is a failure so far. I'm four episodes in and I don't care so, at all. I mean, I think it would be unfair for me to say that I hate it because I don't hate it. I'm watching it and I'm finding things to enjoy, but I am ultimately disappointed. Yeah, I don't feel passionate enough to even hate it. That's and it thing. all for me boils down to the fact that Finn Jones is a bad choice for this character. Yes. Now, and I, I, re I referenced Banshee earlier, which was a wonderful show that was on Cinemax. It was super cheeseball. It took place in a small town, and it starred one of these characters. Tom Pelfrey was one of the actors that was in it. And it was all about these ridiculous fight scenes, these crazy UFC mixed martial arts fight scenes that were so violent and so brutal. And all they needed to do was take whoever wrote and directed that show and say, hey, we want you to do Iron Fist. Please come over here and do this and make it just as brutal and just because it's a martial arts story. This is a martial arts story. You know, I'm not saying I need to see heads flying or anything like that, but I'm four episodes in. I don't think Danny Rain has kicked the shit out of anyone yet. <laughs> Other than being a total dick to Colleen Wing's students in her yeah. dojo, you know? Yeah, like, it's it, like, come on. To, to expect us to care about this guy who comes home, sort of acts like a shithead. Right. And then can't win in a fight. Like, my favorite thing about 
My favorite thing about Iron Fist for the first few episodes was that every time he mentioned Kun Lun, because he's not shy about it, he doesn't have a filter in his head that says, don't mention the mystical city. Right. Because people will think you're nuts. Yes. And you were 10. It's not like you were four when they found you. Yeah. You were 10. Right. You know how the world sort of works. Right. Like, you know how it's going to sound when you say it. Yes. So my and favorite part. the monks are like, hey, by the way, when you leave, don't like, say anything. Keep it on the down low. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but every time he mentions it, and he mentions it a lot. Yes. Uh, Everybody looks at him like he's fucking nuts. Right. And I think that's hilarious. And they should. Right. I mean, like, uh, obviously. But that's, like, that's probably not the reaction I should be having. No. I, uh, but yeah. So I am disappointed. I wish it was better. Yeah. It just falls down. It falls down with the character with the main character. It's absolutely, I think, my least favorite of the four. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, and it's not just boring in story. It is not shot well. The fight scenes are boring. Boring. The camera angles are boring. There's nothing that says action about this to me. Like, why did you not go find one of the thousands of super talented Asian directors that are working on martial arts movies now? The guy that directed The Raid, the guy that directed, that worked with Keanu Reeves on um, uh, Man of Tai Chi. You know, like, go get any of these guys and give us the martial arts miniseries or we've been waiting for with a superhero in it. You had such an easy task here. This is easier to do than selling Daredevil even or Luke Cage or Jessica Jones. This is the easy one. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's like, for lack of a better term, it's like making porn. We know where the story's going. Just get it there, please. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I, let's wrap this up because I think we've said all there is to be said. Yeah. Uh, and again, to be perfectly fair, neither one of us has finished the show. Maybe no. it really turns it around. But based on the first handful of episodes. Yeah. We're just not that into it. It's coming off as a failure so far. And and now, to be fair, they had to misstep sooner or later. Sure, right. right? You right. know, they can't knock them all out of the park. Maybe right. this one is a sacrifice bunt. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, if this is what, like, they, they, like you say, they have to, like, dribble this up the infield a little bit. Sure. Just so that we can get the defenders on base. And I get that. And I'm and like, okay, great. fine. But I, I don't want to see Finn Jones as my Iron Fist. He can't do it. He cannot do it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I could. I, there's probably very few actors out there that could pull this All off. Right. But he can't. Ratings. Ratings. So we are our, our new nerd TV ratings. Mike and Tom eat snacks reference. Watch it. Skim it. Or skip it. Or skip it. Yeah. Right now. Skim it. I am just above a skip it. I'm not done. I'm giving it a skim it. I mean, it's still a sh it's still a superhero show set in the Marvel Universe. It's there. Yeah. I have seen worse. I've definitely seen worse, but I am with you that like, I, I came home last night from running around and I decided that I would rather start replaying a video game that I'd already played instead of watch more Iron Fist. Yeah. Like I watched two episodes last night and just went, Oh man. Yeah. And I got up this morning. He's like, I got to watch at least two more. And you know what? I was writing the script while I was watching it and I found myself so easily losing interest. <laughs> Just like yeah. walking out of the room with it playing. So I'm not going to miss anything. I right. don't care. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the saddest part is I don't care. I don't hate it. I just don't care. It's and a misstep. This is one of my favorite Marvel characters. It's a misstep. Yeah. And I just, it, it could have been so much better. So that's our Iron Fist review. But you know what? Maybe we're wrong. 
17% of somebody out there thought it was pretty good. Did you like it? Call us next week. Talk to us about it. What'd you think of Iron Fist? That's what cover to cover is for. You guys call us up and tell us how fucking stupid we are. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Before we go, let's check the Ziggurat mailbox because I'm pretty sure we got a postcard from the Orca. It's a pretty gnarly weather up there. It's a yeah. nor'easter. Storm the, of storms. The nor'easter, yeah. The perfect storm. Well, his postcard got here somehow. Yeah, go figure. Dear Mr. Bill Sinkevich, famed comic artist whose work stretches over four decades, co-creator of Legion, the character behind the new hit FX TV show, and cover artist extraordinaire. I'm writing you today from my cabin in T2R9, a territory in northern Maine with too few people to be called a town. It's frigid out. Mid-March and we still have 20 inches of snow, which is normal. It's a cozy 75 degrees in here, though, while I sit at my laptop, surrounded by old issues of New Mutants that I've dug out after watching this week's episode of Legion. It's, of course, a lot different than you and Claremont's original material, but I remember your stuff so fondly that I thought it'd be a good day for memory lane. So I've been reading your stuff since the backup tales in Hulk magazine about the Moon Knight, and I've been a super fan ever since. Anyways, I wanted to describe to you a funny thing that happened to me the other day when I went into the local comics shop, run by a grade-A fleecer and genuine prick. <laughs> I'd read online that your cover to a recent issue of Deathstroke was a real treat. Since Deathstroke ain't on my pull list, I had to hunt it down. So I asked this guy if he has any, and he says, Yeah, I got two out back. I pulled them. They're hot. Anything Sienkiewicz is hot. They're going for like $20 online. They've sold out at Midtown. They're hot. <laughs> I'm like, Sonny, ain't that an equal split variant? It just came out today. He's like, sure is, says with a grin, oblivious to my point that they should be available for cover price. So, Bill, congratulations. Like beards or quaaludes or mullet haircuts, <laughs> you've been discovered by a whole new generation of fans. You, the living legend, stuck around, giving us great comics and covers long enough to be cool a second time. Bravo, because, my good sir, it is deserved. My concern, though, is this. Lately, comic fans, or even worse, speculators, are a <laughs> fickle bunch. You happen to be the variant cover artist du jour, a title previously held by Alex Ross, J. Scott Campbell, Adam Hughes, Adi Granoff, and Gabriel Diotto. Well, next week they'll be on to Mike Del Mundo, and I'll be able to get my Sienkiewicz fix at normal prices again. Unless, however, I can steer a few of them in the right direction. Because if they all like your 1 in 100 variant of Hulk suplexing a monster, wait until they see Electra Assassin. Nerds, get your pencils out. Because if you like art heavily influenced by the speedball 80s New York art scene <laughs> and panels that you'll want to study for hours, here's the best work of that name you could never say or spell. Moon Knight Volume 1 our gentleman of honor got his first regular book here, doing inside work as well as some of the best covers ever done. New Mutants, starting with issue 18. 
Great stuff, and some excellent Claremont X-Family story to boot. Electra Assassin Frank Miller's plot is kind of meh, but this is Bill's magnum opus, an absolute essential tour de force. Stray Toasters Here, the work is both more experimental and developed, but as always, completely original, which is why we love you. Finally, Bill's cover work of both today and yesterday stand out. I recommend going to get Google Images and typing in Bill Sienkiewicz cover. Choose your favorite this way before hunting down your own copy. My personal favorite is Wonder Man number one from 1985. Oh, yeah. As for you, Mr. Sienkiewicz, thank you for such an amazing body of work. I dig your new stuff, too, so please keep it coming. After the hype fades and you go back to the equivalent of a comic book journeyman, you will still have an authentic group of true fans. Us real nerds who treasure every bit of genius you bless us with. We love you, sir. Kiss kiss. The Orca. An open love letter Man. to comics favorite Polak, Bill Sienkiewicz. <laughs> Is that a hockey name or what? I'll yeah. tell you what. <laughs> That was adorable. That was a really nice one. We love Sienkiewicz here in the Ziggurat, of course. And he is not wrong. Those old Moon Knight books that Sienkiewicz did, oh my God, they are cool. And they're the ones that made me fall in love with Marvel's knockoff Batman. Yeah. I mean, his Moon Knight work is probably my favorite of his work. Um, Some years ago, uh, I got into it a little bit with uh, Keith Silva over me never having read his run on new mutants you never read seriously nope not not in its entirety um and it's just funny that the orca wanted to talk about bill sinkevich because for some reason uh somebody went back in the archives of our twitter and liked part of the conversation between me and keith about me not reading new mutants there had to be some key word in there maybe yeah i'm sure but it was just like yeah uh yeah i've never i've never read it but I do remember the first time I ever really recognized his work uh, was the, it was the cover to New Mutants number 21, uh, which is just a team shot. And then it's labeled Slumber Party. It's a double sized issue. I got to call it up. Hold on. And that art was used in a house ad. And so I saw that ad in. Oh, yeah. In my Marvel comics oh, yeah. at the time. And I was like, what? is this book and yeah so even from from a young age i noticed his art and how different it was and it left an impression on me no one no one draws warlock like bill sinkevich so true i loved his warlock not adam warlock but warlock yeah warlock the the techno organic techno organic mutant robot thing person <laughs> yeah the mutant mute. robot thing person yeah i don't know if he's a mutant or not there's a whole discussion there but you know regardless bill sinkevich oh we love you sir Thank i did for everything i did do i did take orca suggestion and search for bill sinkevich cover and the image results are really this super cool just to see all this stuff laid out um stuff i had forgotten that he'd even done covers for like um <laughs> he did a bunch of dazzler covers yeah and yeah. and Star Wars covers and things like that. It's just it's such a cool body of work. 
you know, really neat artist that that left a huge impression and his work has endured. So definitely, definitely deserving of that postcard from the Orca. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN number four. If you like podcasts that miscast their hosts so badly you can barely listen to them, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tremendous thundering thanks to everyone that's supporting the show on PayPal and Patreon. This show survives solely on your donations. And we want to say thanks by giving you guys some cool swag and access to donor-only content like the THN Trunk Nerds Guide to Previews, which we just posted. Yeah, last week. Yeah. Our newest patrons include my buddy James, the mysterious Jeff. Who is this Jeff? <laughs> and Stephen, welcome aboard, Vero. Hey, Great Steve-o. job. Remember, next week, kids, it's time for THN Cover to Cover. So call us live or send us an MP3 or you can leave us a message on the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Before we go, a weekly shout-out goes to Elliot Kalen, Dan McCoy, and Stuart Wellington, hosts of the Flophouse podcast, who are much, much more famous than we are. <laughs> they are. For now. Many thousands of listeners. But who still took the time to chat with our roving reporter, Ryan Mount. Word to you guys. You can check out Mount's interview on TwoHeadedNerd.com right now. That guy is the hardest working journalist in our stable. I think all the rest of them are dead. He's the truth. only working journalist yeah, in our stable. All those sex candles are smelling pretty bad. <laughs> we haven't checked on them for a while. I know I haven't fed them for months. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might cast a curly-headed doofus opposite you, thereby ruining your TV debut. This always happens. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>